You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I'm your host, and I'm also the social media manager here at Global Force. And I'm joined by Sarah Payne, who had a wonderful conversation with Jason Lawrenson, who is a speaker at this year's Work Human Conference. And I believe you talked all about social gravity. What's that? It's actually the title of his book he co-authored. It's called Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Laws of Relationships. Uh, Jason is uh, an employee engagement and workplace culture expert, and he actually led the research team for Quantum Workplace's Best Places to Work program. So we talked about work as a relationship, how you can measure culture, and then we ended the conversation talking about high-fiving and why we should bring it back to the workplace. Oh, I never realized that the high-five left the workplace, but I've been trying to bring it back one hand at a time. So uh, take a listen to our interview with Jason Lordson, and if you'd like to see him in person, visit www.workhuman.com and register for the conference. Okay, so first I wanted to just talk a bit about your background. Uh, can you share with our listeners uh, what you do and your experience in the corporate world and research? Sure. The uh, the crazy path that is my that is my background. Um, yeah. So the the short short version of this is that my my early career I spent in sales. I actually started in sales. That led me into recruiting. Recruiting is where I found my passion for sort of HR and the dynamics between people and work. And so that led me actually to pursue a career in corporate HR. Uh, I spent almost 10 years in corporate HR, all of that time, um, well, most of that time in leadership roles. I I entered as a manager of talent acquisition, um, sort of progressed up through talent management, ultimately led an HR team for a regional bank here in the Midwest. And then after leaving leaving HR, I I did some consulting work, but ultimately I I landed, I spent three years with with a company called Quantum Workplace. And one of the things that Quantum does is um, Quantum has technology, uh, particularly an employee survey technology that is the research engine underneath almost 50 different best places to work programs across the United States. And I got to lead the best places team for a couple of years at Quantum. So it gave me a really interesting opportunity to peek inside some of the, the best workplaces of all different sizes to understand kind of what they were doing and, and what they were doing differently. So that's, that's kind of my background. And somewhere along the way, I started, uh, I started doing some speaking and some writing, and ultimately that kind of became my, my primary profession. Great, and we're excited to have you speak at WorkHuman in May. Uh, and something you're talking about there is social gravity, um, and you have a book on the subject as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and maybe some examples of how it plays out in the workplace? So social gravity, very simply, is the power of the relationships that we have in our lives with others to attract opportunity to us. And so a lot of times, you know, we understand intuitively that relationships are important or we understand that we value relationships and we need relationships with other people. But what social gravity really, in social gravity, we sort of unpack how by being more intentional about relationships and understanding relationships and cultivating quality relationships in your life that you actually sort of attract things to you, things of value, things of importance, things that you desire. 
And so examples in the workplace, I think, show up. I mean, the way the way that I think I, I most quickly illustrate this is people say, you know, it's not what you know, but who you know that matters. You know, that's kind of an old uh, um, quote that you you hear over the years. And when people say that, usually what they mean is they're sort of reflecting on they've noticed the power of social gravity in some way. So in the workplace, that might mean that. You know, someone um, is getting promoted or finding opportunity because they are really well connected and they have a broad network of relationships and people know of them and their abilities and the contributions they're making. Or social gravity also might be if you have a good network of relationships internally, you might have access to resources or be able to find resources or information or insight more quickly from other colleagues than, um, than people around you can because of your network. So you're able to do better quality work. You're able, able to have a bigger impact. So those would be a couple of very simple examples, but it happens in lots of different ways. And, and you said that work is a relationship. Uh, who do you think is responsible for that relationship in the workplace? Is it the manager? Is it HR? Um, that's a great question. And I think it's, there's there's not a, a simple answer to that. Um, when I this is one of the, the one of the interesting things that that came out of the research that um, that I did or the research I was involved in was sort of this recognition that for employees work they experience work as a relationship, which means when they show up to work they have the same needs the same needs that they have sort of when they enter into any other important relationship they want to feel valued and cared about and they you know they want to feel like there's growth within the relationship and that uh, the other person in this relationship is prioritizing their needs and um, there's a need for sort of connection and trust and those kinds of things those are all the same things that employees expect from from the workplace and this shows up in a lot of the engagement, employee engagement research that's out there. And so when you think about it from the employee perspective, you know, it is they experience work as a relationship, but they don't get all of those needs met necessarily from the same place. I would say the most important relationship is probably whoever their primary manager is, whether that's a supervisor or whatnot, just because they have so much contact or they should. Um, have so much contact with that individual. And that individual has really the opportunity to set the tone. But I also think that both HR and leadership really play huge roles in this in terms of, you know, filling different parts of that need or setting up the employee experience in a way that it fulfills those needs. It helps employees feel like their contribution is valued and that they feel seen and acknowledged and appreciated for the work that they do. Um, or that there's trust, that there's a bigger plan, and that, you know, that, that somebody's got sort of their hands on the steering wheel that knows what they're doing, and that's really, that's a leadership role um, in communicating that. So, uh, so the relationship exists on lots of levels, and uh, lots of people play a role. But I would say that the manager probably has the most significant impact on that relationship directly. And sort of related to that, you know, if work is a relationship, what do you think performance management should look like given that? Sure. Well, if, yeah, I think if you, you know, if you do consider it as a relationship, then I think it, it becomes performance management is a conversation and it's a conversation about our, it's a conversation about the relationship. It's about our mutual expectations. It's about our mutual experiences. And so it, it, it should be a two way um, exchange of information. 
So a manager, you know, asking questions about, you know, how things are going and what's happening and sort of checking in on expectations, the employee being able to sort of provide also feedback and ask questions of the manager and sort of request resources that they need. But, you know, it becomes really an ongoing set of conversations like you would have in any important relationship if you think about it, you know, a significant other or a best friend you know, to, to keep that relationship healthy, you have conversations on an ongoing basis where you're checking in with each other and you ask questions of each other and you provide each other support in much the same way. That's how um, performance management likely looks in the context of creating a healthy relationship. So what's the one thing companies should do if they want to improve the overall employee experience? One thing, I'm going to make it, um, I have to make it two things. Um, but <laughs> I think <laughs> the one thing is teaching managers or equipping managers with the skills and experience and training to have conversations, to have good, meaningful, robust conversations with their employees. Um, the reason I said it's two is that part of, part of that equation or getting that equation right with the manager is also recognizing that we've put a lot of managers in management roles that probably shouldn't be there. Um, because if the primary primary role of the manager is to make sure that this employee is having a healthy experience of work and that they're having a good relate, you know, that the relation relationship needs are met, if that manager isn't driven by connecting with people and a longing for having those conversations and having that productive positive impact on those people, um, you could teach them teach them the skills, but it's never going to have the kind of impact we we desire for trying to create a more human workplace, right? That works better for people. And so, mm -hmm. so I think that you have to give those teach those managers. We assume that people know how to have conversations. It is absolutely not the case. Most people have never had any real training or coaching around that. Uh, we assume because we can talk, we can have meaningful exchanges with other humans, and that's just. Um, it's sort of a naive assumption that I think we have to, to move past and realize we have to teach these people how to teach these folks how to have good conversations. So on the other end, what would you say is the one thing companies should avoid if they want a healthier culture? Well, I mean, this is going to sound flippant, but I think it's I, I, because of what I just said, but I think that it's so much easier said than done is don't put people in manager roles that don't love people. I think we continue to promote people for the wrong reasons. We continue to put people into management roles that have no business being there. Um, you know, you don't manage humans. You engage with humans. You build relationships with humans. You encourage and foster humans along a path. Um, managing them makes them angry. We all feel that way. Um, it's not a natural thing. We manage machines and systems and stuff. We don't manage. We shouldn't be managing people. We should be leading them. And so, so I think we, if we could stop putting people in management roles that really don't like people or have any desire to lead people, um, that would be a great first step. I think that's great advice. So my next question is, what should HR be measuring to gauge culture? Uh, do you think engagement is enough? You know, that's, I think that's a, that's a really, really good question. I think that's kind of a million-dollar question for HR. Um, you know, when you, say in, when you say in that, you know, do you think engagement is enough, I'm assuming that we're meaning sort of engagement through the lens of a survey um, or through the lens of something like that. 
I think measuring culture is really about measuring employee sentiment. And I mean employees at all levels. So it's employees and managers. I mean, we're all, um, except for the owners, everybody are employees. So it's managing sentiment. It's how we feel and how we experience the organization. Um, and so I think I think feedback is, or some kind of feedback loop, are, you know, that there's no way around that as a as the most effective way to measure culture. How you do that, though, um, can look a lot of different ways, which depends on, you know, your organization, depends on your cult, you know, depends on your culture, what works best. But I think well-designed employee surveys are really powerful. Um, if they're well-designed and there's the right process around them, I would say, you know, I think employee engagement is one of those things, even though I spend, you know, I spend most of my time working with organizations around engagement or helping coach them around engagement, one of the very first things I tend to ask or coach them on is we have to get really clear on what we mean when we even say employee engagement. Because right. in one organization, it can mean one thing and another thing it's not. And so, so when you say is engagement enough, well, that depends, but I think probably not. I think employee engagement is part of the equation, but we've got to measure sort of um, things that probably are broader than engagement um, that start to reach into, you know, um, your experience and satisfaction with some things um, on a day-to-day -day basis. It also should probably reach into well-being and sort of some things that extend outside of the walls of the organization, too, because humans exist beyond just the, the number of hours they're actually working. And so all of that needs to be, I think, brought into the equation. But I think it's feedback. It could, be, it could also be focus groups. It could also be lots of other ways of measuring employee sentiment. But I think that's where it starts. And I just think surveys are probably, when done correctly, are the, are the most powerful way to do it just because of the consistency. So one thing we like to ask all of our work human speakers is, uh, what does a human workplace mean to you? I think I think for me what that means is that that you've got an organization, you know, you have an organization who understands and has made has sort of made their workplace human centric, meaning it starts with understanding how humans are motivated and what we, you know, what our needs are, what it takes to, you know, sort of um satisfy our needs and we use sort of the satisfaction of needs as a pathway to unlocking performance. Whereas I think traditional workplaces always start from a position of clarifying organizational needs and goals. And then we bet, you know, our management and leadership systems sort of back into how do we get employees to do the things that we need them to do? How do we manipulate, coerce, or motivate them to do the things we need them to do to achieve what the organization wants to achieve? I think human workplaces essentially flip that over and say, you know what, if we can get really clear on what humans need to feel successful and motivated and we find a way to provide that through work, the kinds of things they will do for us will vastly exceed anything that we could do in our traditional model. So to me, that's what it means. I love that. So I have one last question for you, a fun one. Are high fives underrated and why? Yes, they're wildly, wildly underrated. <laughs> um, I, I challenge you in a workplace or in any environment, like the high five is one of those things that I think, um, you know, the only people that I think are probably vastly opposed to high fives or that have negative reactions to high fives are germaphobes. Other than that, almost anybody, if you test this, like you walk through the workplace, 
put your hand up when somebody's walking by you, give a high five, and I, you know, that person will do a number of, you know, one of a number of things. They will smile, they will um, say something really positive, you'll see their face kind of light up. Sometimes you actually get like tingles when you do it. It's just one of these things that it takes a second and it has this awesome, awesome impact. I mean, I suppose if you were high-fiving every five minutes, maybe it would lose its impact eventually, but I think right now, High five is a highly underutilized uh, engagement tactic within the workplace. So, so yes, that's uh, highly underrated. Thank you for listening to our interview with Jason Lordson, author of Social Gravity. Jason will be speaking at the Work Human Conference this year, May 30th through June 1st in beautiful Arizona. And if you would like to join us at Work Human, visit www.workhuman.com. And if you register with the code podcast, you'll save a hundred bucks. So we hope to see you at the conference. In the meantime, if you want to hear all about Work Human and what people are talking about, you can join the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, and we hope you tune into our next episode of Work Human Radio.